We are so excited today to have Sarah from Ohuddle with us. That is a mentoring program that she is going to tell us more about. We love mentoring, whether it's women to women, and in this case, students to adults. And we can't wait to share her story and her journey of the nonprofit Ohuddle. So Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Sure. So we're going to jump right in and ask you some questions. Tell me about your nonprofit and why you started it. Uh, so O-Huddle is a uh, nonprofit that matches volunteer mentors with school-age students. Uh, we serve students during the school day and also after the school day. And it really is about making sure that everyone has somebody in their huddle, somebody in their corner that helps them to thrive and to be their best selves. So what grades, do, what grades are they typically in for your program? So typically middle school and high school, but we do serve students in some elementary schools in, in the districts that we serve. We started out because I was the school psychologist uh, over at uh, Worcester City Schools. And in my role as the psychologist, a big part of what my job was, was to look at the landscape of a student's learning and to determine what are the factors that might be influencing how they are performing in school. And uh, we had a season in which we were uh, looking at all of the data of kids from elementary all the way up to middle school. And what I saw was that there were these trends of kids who were, you know, always on the F's list or, uh, you know, struggling with attendance year after year after year or, you know, the really high rates of discipline. And when I looked at the common denominators between, you know, what they had in common, it was poverty and trauma. And uh, mentorship was one of the top-rated interventions for supporting students who were in poverty and trauma. So while we started out trying to make sure that we were providing a, a platform for equity for the students that we were serving, um, what we soon came to realize is that mentorship is good for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a you know precept of we're trying to uh, fix broken kids. It's not about you know the haves and the haves nots. It's about a uh, means of making sure that every kid has exactly what they need to kind of let their sparks uh, become apparent to uh, the rest of the world and to give them a sense of opportunity around those things. So do you follow, does the same mentor follow the same child all the way through from if they start in eighth grade through 12th grade or is it like a one-year program? How do you do that? Yeah, no, the really important factor is that the student is able to be in the program for as long as they want to be. And so mm-hmm. we do have uh, mentors who have been with the same student for uh, five years now, and they've progressed with the students through the grades. One of the cool uh, instances of, of that was an elementary student who was transitioning up to middle school and was kind of nervous about coming into uh, the middle school setting, they had an orientation and the mentor said, well, I've had kids who have gone through the orientation. Do you want me to come with you and just kind of give you a sense of um, somebody being alongside of you while you do that? And he said, yeah, you know, you can come. And after they were done with the tour, she said, so what do you think? I mean, are you cool with coming? And he said, yeah, it's okay. And she said, you know, is it okay if I come and see you here instead of over at the elementary school next year? And he said, what do you have kids here? And she said, yeah, you. And he said, you're going to come to this building just for me? She said, I come to the elementary school just for you. She said, I'm only going there for you. And even though we had said that, to have him experience uh, the kind of journey of really realizing in real time that this person is here just for me, stopping what they're doing in their day, was a really powerful experience for, for the both of them. Sure. The light bulb that came on. Yeah. And so our goal is that we uh, have the, the same mentor and student connected for as long as possible. 
uh, and that we, uh, you know, guarantee that as long as the student wants to be in the program, that we'll serve them through their 12th grade year. That's really neat. And I've seen that it has grown because you started out in Worcester City Schools. Mm -hmm. And I remember our pastor at the time having you on stage to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm looking you up and learning more about you, you're in multiple schools now. So and that wasn't that long ago that that happened. So what kind of growth have you had and how is that working? Yeah, so we're in uh, six school districts at this point. There are 445 kids, uh, and that was not the plan. If I'm going to be honest, this was really just about the students that were on our heart that we knew personally that we wanted to find, you know, a sense of resource around and we wanted to connect them to the right opportunities. And so this was never supposed to be a nonprofit. It was not supposed to grow to the degree that it did. But I think that when you're doing something that is working and you have a a sense of community around that and people who are saying, I'll bring this, it's kind of a stone soup modality of everybody bringing the talent or bringing the resource that they have, it becomes a little bit of lightning in a bottle. And it grew really quickly because mentorship is effective Mm -hmm. and because it is uh, not scarcity based. It's based in um, what's going well and how do we leverage that to promote growth. And that's exciting. That's that's a good thing to be a part of. And so I'm very humbled that it's grown as quickly as it has. I, and I, I'm very surprised. I would say nobody's more surprised than I am about it. So what year did you start the nonprofit? Yeah, so I would say we were a volunteer organization in the 2012-2013, where we were connecting a lot of teachers that had retired early, kind of with the the STRSS was kind of in a season where there were lots of teachers who were retiring, you know, for retirement benefit purposes. We were losing teachers that were really mentors for us, and we didn't want to see them leave the building. And so we were plugging in teachers within that time frame, but it wasn't until 2016 that it became a nonprofit. And we really did kind of canvas the area for organizations that would do it. We were looking to outsource and say, who will come in and who will plug in? And we didn't have a, a big brother, big sister program. And there at that time wasn't a, a partner, a nonprofit partner that was providing school-based mentorship service. So, uh, you know, kind of very much a grassroots experience since the 2016, well, I guess 2012 to 2016. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you find your um, mentors then that work? Do they come to you? Do you find them? Do they live in that district? How does that work? So we try and beat the bushes because I always have a wait list of about 100 kids long of kids who refer themselves. They, you know, a friend will come in with another kid and say, well, I want to mentor too. Or parents will call us and teachers and administrators always referring students. And so we really, I put a lot of work into making sure that our church partners and our corporate partners are aware. I do a lot of um, talking at civic organizations to make sure that everyone's aware of the opportunity to mentor. But mentors come from all walks of life. I, I would say that we started with retired teachers, but we also have you know, people who are in the military. We have people who are in the corporate world. We have a county prosecutor. We have people you know, who work in government and lawyers and doctors who are taking time out of their day to prioritize a youth that they're building a relationship with. That has got to be really awesome to see. But at the same time, if you have a wait list like that, is that kind of not disheartening, but sad where you just really wish you had more mentors to help? It's hard. It's hard because especially when students are self-advocating and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, do I have my mentor yet? Am I connected in? And so one of the solutions that we've put around that has been our system that we use to support all of the volunteer mentors. There's a site coordinator in each one of 
the 12 buildings that we serve in. And what we do with that site coordinator is they're working five days a week. They're a fiber of that school building. They, you know, run data meetings and they make sure that um, they're connected to all of the needs and, and service coordination around that student. But they also mentor students that are on the wait list at times so that they can match and find a goodness of fit between the mentor and the student. So we use that a little bit as a cushion uh, for students who are on the wait list. And we also have a, uh, a Monday night program that's a faith-based uh, program that any kid can par- uh, participate in. It's a field trip series. So that's been our other solution around making sure that kids who want to be in the program have a point of access, even while they're waiting for a mentor. Unfortunately, the, the ministry program has been put on hold. We can't put kids right. on the bus right now through right, the right. COVID season. But you know, it's been neat to see how our team has been so creative around that waitlist piece mm-hmm. so that we can uh, keep kids engaged and be responsive while we're waiting for that mentor. So you guys have a lot going on. You have a lot of helpers, mentors, children that you service. But the difference between a business where someone's making income as these kids obviously are not paying for your program. Mm -hmm. So what are some things like with us sitting here, what are some things that you offer people not involved that they can support? I mean, do you have fundraisers Mm -hmm. or what kind of things do you do in that in that way. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I would say something that I feel that our team is good at, something that we're pr- I'm, I'm proud of them of is that we find a way to braid together resources that people are offering. So we do hold a fundraiser for each of the school districts that we serve and try and make that very connected to the, the history of that district and some of the, the assets and opportunities around that district. Mm-hmm. We also have a Golden Circle Gala that we plug in each year. That's in February. And this year it's going to be virtual on February 19th. I think the gala is a good example of us leveraging some of the things that people are able to offer as in-kind or talent gifts because it's a completely cost-neutral event for us. So um, it's a high-end event where we've got, you know, crystal chargers and goblets and uplighting and just, you know, a really beautiful curated space. But the space has been given to us for free. Every stitch on the table is free. The food has been donated and a certified chef is, is creating and preparing it as a plated meal. And so it really is, you know, again, that stone soup example of people are bringing what they have and we're able to kind of weave it into something that is experience oriented. And because we are not paying for any of the resources around putting on that gala or that event, it allows 100% of the proceeds of the event to go to paying our really high caliber site coordinators for the cost of site coordination. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of how we look to make sure that we can stretch resources as far as possible. And we look to do that with what people are offering us as well. So, you know, how do we use the, the gifts of a community and put those in front of mentors and teachers in a way that they can be received and utilized to the best of, of their opportunities? Well, and I noticed too on your uh, social media was that you also give to the schools and the teachers. Mm-hmm. And that was just what last week that you were doing that to give to all the different schools. Mm-hmm. So you really do, I mean, you really do a lot for the, the communities that you work in and the schools that you, that you work in. Is it sometimes exhausting? Does it feel like a job for 100 people and not, you know, one or how do you manage that? You know, I think as a team, we work really hard on making sure that we are taking inventory of our own work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, we, we do a lot of professional development around what's the difference between stress and burnout right now, especially in this COVID world where, you know, if you think about a Maslow's hierarchy of need, how are we, uh, you know, being compromised by being in safety all the time where we have to guess, you know, should I do this or should I do that? 
it really takes an emotional toll on being able to be in relationship and being able to have higher level thinking. And so being aware of how we take care of ourselves and take care of each other is really an important part of modeling that for our youth too. So Mm -hmm. that adage of you have to put your own oxygen mask on before you can put it on somebody else is is something that we really try and live by. And our team is comprised, uh, we're an all-female staff, and these are high-functioning women. They are the former principals and um, military officers and pediatric nurses and you know these are these are leaders who have done big things and are choosing to use their talents in a way that uh, shapes the the community around them the school community around them and so when we're putting on those events the the point of origin behind why we host what we call o huddle hours is because we we understand that there needs to be that sense of community around the entire huddle so o huddle means odyssey huddle that life is a journey and we all need to understand who is in our tribe who's in our group of people who are going to help us to be our, our best selves. And so we want to be intentional about how we support the entire huddle and how we use our youth to be of service to others so that they can understand that their talents are unique and can benefit others as well. So you are a new enough organization that you've been around enough that you're established and doing great things in a very short amount of time, but you're also new enough that some of the students that you've worked with, you know, even the oldest ones, if they were seniors, are still mid-20s and mm-hmm. and young do you look forward to the time or are you seeing when those children who have been mentored are now coming back to be mentors? Yeah, that was, I would say, a pipe dream of mine. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if one day and uh, last, I would say, February, uh, we were hosting a training and there was a girl who walked in and she said, do you recognize me? And she was one of the youth that we had served and she was now in college. And she said, this made an impact on me and I wanted to come back and mentor somebody else. And that was a moment for me because it was something that I had dreamed of for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal is you want to recognize that uh, your youth are a resource that you're investing in so that they can be good neighbors and they can pass on and pay forward the work that, that you're putting in and the time that you're putting into relationship with them in future relationships and, and so that it has a ripple effect in the community. And starting to see that has been a tremendous privilege. I'm sure that is, I mean, that's just exciting. And that's a really good way to make your, your volunteer numbers multiply as time goes on and you're seeing more and more of that, I'm sure. And I think that'd be neat for the kids that this woman is mentoring because mm-hmm. she can say, I was where you are. That's Do right. you think there's kind of some, a specialness that makes for her mentor, mentee relationships? Yeah. And I think it normalizes mentors. Uh, I think it, it normalizes the mentorship process. I had a superintendent say to me, every single student should have a mentor. Mm-hmm. And I agree because mentorship is good for everyone and anybody who has been anyone has had mentors in their life that have been a little bit ahead of them or who have motivated them or have mirrored their best self and said, I see this in you that you don't yet see in yourself. Uh, And that's something that uh, can't be undervalued. Something that I think I'm impressed with the school leadership and how they are putting stake in understanding the value of those relationships Uh, You know, through COVID, we've been invited to continue with our volunteer mentors in the schools. And that's something that we don't take lightly. You know, we we Mm want to make sure that we're, you know, being as conservative as, as possible with safety and that we're being really intentional about how we utilize that privilege 
uh, to make sure that we are finding a way to yes, no matter what through COVID. So we've Mm -hmm. not disrupted service at all through the pandemic. We actually had a strategy uh, session and plan the very next day after schools were closed. And it's, it's been something that I think when we talk about leadership is a really good representation of when you have a team that is collaborative and a team who has strong communication, what can be done, even despite really large mountains to climb. Right. So let's backtrack a little bit and talk about your family. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your family. Yeah. So I have an eight-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. And it's funny to think that, you know, the organization started right around when I had uh, given birth to my daughter, because, you know, as a working mom, you've got this working mom guilt, right? Mm -hmm. And try and refine your practice and make things efficient and and find systems that can withstand you being in all places at all times. And so to birth what I kind of consider my my third you know, baby, though, huddle, I would say is something that's been a family effort at a time when, you know, there's new life in our house is uh, an unlikely starting point. But it's been really neat to see my kids grow along with the organization and to feel that they have stake and agency in it as well. Because this is all they've known. They've only known you to do to be involved in Ohuddle, and they, I'm sure they've watched it grow, mm-hmm. especially even though they're young, especially mm-hmm. as it's grown, they've seen that. What do they do? Do they do anything to help, or how do they? How do they? How does it feel like it's a part of their lives mm-hmm. as well? Yeah. I think that because we try to be really creative with the resources, a lot of times they'll be a part of the conversation of something that we have that's happening or something that we're doing. And so every event that we have, I mean, my husband's a tremendous supporter for me. He'll bring the kids along and we'll find what's an age appropriate point of engagement for them. I've only been in, uh, you know, leadership and staff leadership of the organization for the past two years. So Mm -hmm. previously, although I was, you know, working on the board and working in, you know, all the engagement of it, it really was, uh, you know, I was trying to do both worlds. I was trying to be the school psychologist while, you know, being so involved in and doing so many things with the the launch of O'Huddle. And so, you know, my son, when I was making the transition and, and I wasn't going to be the school psychologist anymore, he had a point where he said, well, am I going to see you in the buildings? And, and am I going to be able to, you know, is, how is this going to change my world? Because I'm used to you being you know, having access and being in my school building. And I think that, you know, what I told him, and I think what he's learned from that is that not having to do both things has given me a sense of flexibility in, you know, being able to go on the field trips and, and, you know, still having a point of engagement in his buildings, even though I'm not staff in his buildings anymore. It just looks different. It just looks different, Mm -hmm. right? You know, we've run, you know, a variety of different programs, like our fairy godmother program. And my daughter is the fairy that goes around to the girls and kind of helps with little things. She's done that for three years now. My son runs lemonade stands and he says, you know, can we do this one for O'Huddle? And can I put it, you know, the proceeds towards it? And, you know, they, they really are involved at every every level. And they, my son and I had a conversation uh, about three months ago where he said, you know, I wonder why you started. Oh, you know, I wonder, you know, when you were working with the team to start it, why? And I told him that what I saw was that the kids who didn't have all of the advantages that he had deserved to have people in their corner who were able to give the same kinds of opportunities that he was getting and that that also was going to make his community and his world better. And that really it was something that I saw as necessary for the the school community that we were engaging with, but I also saw it to benefit them so much too. Right. Um, when my daughter was in kindergarten, I walked into the kindergarten classroom for open house and 
you know, being somebody who works in the schools, you kind of know all the families and you kind of know all the mm-hmm. the name tags and you think, who's she going to sit across from and what's it going to look like? And uh, she was sitting across from the ninth sibling of a family that we had served. And I had kind of a flashback moment of uh, an observation that I had done in that same kindergarten classroom of the older brother and safety plans that I had run through all uh, through a fall um, and behavior interventions that we were plugging in. And through the course of several years, we were able to get a mentor for every one of the siblings in that family to include the, the kindergartner sitting across from her. And throughout the course of her kindergarten you know, career, I got to see how her experience was very different than it would have been across the table from the sibling before those resources were put into place. Mm-hmm. And so as a mom, that was very full circle for me. We hope that what we're doing is affecting the landscape of our children as well. But it was really something special to be able to see that happening in real time with my own child. Right. Definitely. Do you see your kids being mentors someday to other kids? Yeah, I think we want to start with them being mentored. And I think that's something, you know, we've talked about on our team is we're working moms on our team and making sure that we're normalizing mentorship and reducing stigma by prioritizing it for our own kids is something that we want to make sure we're intentional about. But the goal would be as they're being mentored to eventually be able to mentor somebody else down the road. Yeah. And that's neat to think about too. Mm -hmm. And that's probably something that they may not have ever experienced had you not stepped out and said, this is what I need to do, you know, to start this program. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that running a nonprofit is very busy and you have two children and they're getting to the age where they're probably in some activities, but it's Mm -hmm. only going to get, you know, greater. What are some time management tips that you could give people? And like you're mentioning stress and, and not feeling stressed and taking care of yourself first. What are some, some tips or things that you would tell working moms? And obviously you're working with working moms. So what are some things that you would, would say to other working moms out there? Yeah. You know, I think on our team, we talk a lot about efficiency and, you know, something that I've shared with my team, I would say that I'm a recovering perfectionist and there really is no place for perfectionism and leadership. You can have high standards, but perfectionism can sometimes be toxic. And so in, in motherhood, in life, I think, you need to figure out, you know, what are both those priorities and the non-negotiables as well. Uh, I was talking with a friend and she recommended the book, The Lazy Genius. And the thing about The Lazy Genius is that it is all about having things done in the way that you want them, but doing them as efficiently as possible and then cutting down on the things that are uh, not serving you. And so I'm somebody who reflects a lot on, is this situation serving me? Is the way that this is being done bringing joy? And, you know, how can I learn from others as I'm trying to grow myself and, uh, you know, use my own mentors and and use my own models for um, somebody who's doing something a few steps ahead of where I want to be? So I think it's a process of being a student of learning the different zones of uh, development for kids, because just as you think you have something figured out as a parent, then you've got this new stage that's coming in. And, you know, through that, being reflective and giving yourself some time for silence so you can know exactly where you are instead of constantly being in the hustle and wearing that badge of business. And as a leader and leading a team as of adults, but also, you know, guiding kids with your college degrees, you would have learned all of the kid component, but not most likely, I'm guessing, not necessarily how to lead teams of adults the way you are. So how? Do, so that had to take some effort on your part, either learning by making mistakes or learning by reading or, 
you know, I think you mentioned that book before. What are some things that to become a leader, having not been trained necessarily with that background? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think that I'm deep in that right now. You know, I have a great director of operations. Her name is Heather, and she's been somebody who has helped me to kind of loosen my grasp and, and open my hands with, you know, collaborative teamwork on our team. Mm-hmm. I think I, you know, as a psychologist was somebody who was good at doing, but transitioning into the role, a question that I ask myself is, am I, am I doing a good job leading this? Or am I trying to do it? And being able to communicate and delegate in a way that everything that we do feels team-oriented and collaborative is a lot of work. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. um, a lot easier to say, okay, I know exactly how I want this to be done. I feel like I could do it in these three steps. I'm going to go ahead and do that because that will be the easiest thing to do. And you can do that for a little while. But what I'm realizing is that you won't have the systemic impact that you would be able to have if you are more open-handed and more trusting of being able to, you know, generate collaboration within your team. And so, yeah, for sure, a student of that. And uh, I think we'll be a lifelong student of that because there is no pinnacle of leadership. There's no uh, top of the ladder. There's always something to learn. There's always something to get curious about. And if we're being real about what it takes to make sure that you're growing in a direction that is helpful. You know that it's it's a marathon. What would be something that you're really proud of, a success that you had? And what would be something that if you could do it over or do it differently, you would with Ohara? Mm, that's a great question. You know, I, I think that what I feel really proud about is that, you know, the reputation of the of the program has been one that we've really been able to prove that our only agenda is service. We have very uh, service-oriented leaders. They have servant hearts. They are there because they find joy in making sure that they can connect the dots in a way that feels youth-focused and youth-led. And it's been really neat for me to see how, you know, sometimes when you're around like-minded people and people who are really getting you and really understanding, yeah, that's exactly where you're coming from and they're excited about the same things, it can be really energizing. And I think that's what O'Huddle has been with over 300 volunteers at this point. The more and more I, I'm around these adults, they have the same focus in common, which is I'm going to put my energy into these youth and I'm going to do it in a way that is servant heart oriented. And it's just a really fascinating and energizing place to be when you are in that wake of so many people who have that same focus. Right. So I think that's something that's gone really well within the organization. I don't know that I can take credit for that. I, I feel like that's been a very God led, you know, seed that's been planted. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, wasn't my idea. I think it was really God's idea to have the the direction that things have grown. I also think that, you know, there have been some hard lessons along the way. I think you have to have the right, you know, plan in, in order for uh, things to go in a certain direction. And I think that because this was so grassroots, there were a lot of challenges that we didn't foresee. I would say one example is you know, for all of the years that I've been on earth, I didn't realize that when a governor leaves office, all of the grants and all of the things that he's created go away. 
And so our funding, our primary funding stream when we started was primarily this one really large grant. And when Governor Kasich left office, that grant went away. And I thought, well, what do you mean? What's going to replace that? And, you know, it was a couple of years before there were funding streams to plug that in. And so that was a really hard lesson because all of a sudden your budget for all of these people that you've hired has gone. You're kind of left scrambling. How do we diversify this? And that's when we, you know, tried to learn our fundraising, kind of cut our teeth on fundraising and learn that you need to have, you know, diverse streams uh, to make sure that you've got a, a really stable predictability with a nonprofit. So that was that was a hard lesson and one yeah. that, you know, I, I didn't anticipate, but I'm grateful for because I think it made us stronger. Well, you know what? I didn't know that either. <laughs> so I learned something new. Let me think out loud and you tell me if I'm way off base. Because that happened and it forced you into fundraising, mm-hmm. did that by any chance, and again, I'm thinking out loud, allow your program to be more known mm-hmm. because you were out there trying to, you know, fundraise and maybe give you more mentors than if mm-hmm. your biggest dollar amount was from a grant through the state or not? Yeah, no, I think so. I think that challenges are often gifts. You know, if we see them for that and we we see it as an opportunity, I, I, I agree. I, I do think that our really fast pivot that we had to do relative to that made us stronger in in some areas. And I think that others' awareness of what we do, how we do it, and uh, with what trajectory was expedited by us having to really quickly get additional stakeholders and fundraisers, you know, engaged relative to supporting the the process and the program. So one thing that I, I think, I guess for me, I could think of two things and maybe because this is coming from my I don't know thoughts maybe it's the case but I guess I can think of two things that somebody might say who would love to volunteer loves the program but that might cause them to to stop and Mm -hmm. they're really both excuses so Mm -hmm. work me through this one would be I don't have time what would you say to somebody who you know would be a good volunteer maybe you would even hand pick them Mm -hmm. but they might say I don't have time and they might truly be busy what but you know that they could make it work? What would, what might you say to them? Yeah. I think that that's been the gift of the design of O'Huddle. And I, I haven't really found another organization, a mentor organization that has done it the way that we've kind of evolved is by having that site coordinator there. So much of the legwork, you know, a volunteer mentor is really scaffolded for them. And so, you know, a mentor uh, commitment is really about 45 minutes once a week. And through COVID, we've even evolved to Zoom sessions. So it can be a virtual, you're doing it from, you know, your lunch hour, your desk or your home to connect in with a youth. And I feel like we all have 45 minutes once a week, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes when you're volunteering someplace, it's, you know, you're taking all of these classes up front and then you get there and there's not really anybody to teach you the the legwork of exactly what you're supposed to be doing, kind of left guessing or trying to figure out and navigate the space even that you're in. Our site coordinator is really walking through every piece of that, is dress rehearsing it with them ahead of time. And it's it's a 90-minute commitment of orientation before they get to that point. So we work hard to make sure that we can have a leaning training model, meaning that you're taking 10-minute bite-sized chunks of training on a weekly basis that, you know, keeps away the uh, some of the large chunks of time that I know sometimes volunteer organizations ask of people who are onboarding. Right. That makes sense. And then my other component to that would be, I realize that children are mentoring are from all different mm-hmm. 
scenarios and backgrounds. I know a lot of it is because they, they weren't getting that from home or their home situation, like you had said in the beginning and, and your daughter's classmate. What about the person who says, I would love to volunteer, but my heart would be broken. I would want to take all these kids home. Mm-hmm. So I just can't because mm-hmm. of that. What would you say to that person? Yeah, I think that that's a big part of uh, what we're looking to make understood by individuals who are engaging is that, you know, every kid has a different journey. And every kid, uh, you know, has a, a different set of opportunities. And, you know, so every one of us has been through what I call a winter. You know, we've all had a season in which we've gone through something really hard, uh, something that feels isolating or something that feels lonely or just really sad or that makes us angry. And, you know, our kids are no different. Uh, they may have different, you know, resources from an economic standpoint. They may have different aces, you know, along the trauma front, but we have such a heterogeneous group of, of uh, students that we serve. And again, you know, what we're not leading with is, you know, a story of scarcity. Uh, so when a mentor is, is plugging in, we don't give, you know, a set of records that say, here are all of the sad things that ever happened, you know, relative to this student's history, because it's not about fixing broken kids. It's about meeting a kid where they're at and providing opportunities around the very next step that they want to take. And it's about finding commonalities within that. So we're not looking for sad stories, even though we all have them. What we are looking for is a point of connection that is going to provide a different vantage point for for the mentors as well. You know, being somebody who has worked with kids with mental health diagnoses, uh, with kids who are, you know, in uh, living 200% below the poverty line, I really thought I had a good understanding, uh, you know, behind the the vestiges of, you know, components related to those scenarios. But when I mentor, I have, a, I have one girl that I mentor, and when I work with her, it is a relationship and those those clinical pieces really fall away. It's two humans together that are invested in each other and that are uh, really just curious about what does the other one think? What can your perspective lend to mine? How can we grow together? So I would encourage anybody considering mentorship to look at it from that angle as opposed to um, kind of coming in as as a as a hero. We we do see our mentors as heroes, but we see two souls together, you know, looking for a point of connection. And when you look at it that way, you know, it does take that uh, that component away of feeling like that would be too emotionally too hard, but it also allows the the mentor to see that they are getting something from it as well. Mm-hmm. Because like you're saying, it is too different people kind of learning from each other. Yeah. Yeah. And these are cool kids. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I I think that it it is shocking how resilient kids are, but it Mm -hmm. also is informing to know that this uh, journey, you know, if it was dissimilar for mine, has something to teach me too. Mm -hmm. Um, We're reading uh, as a puddle right now, we're reading the book Hillbilly Elegy, um, which actually is a Netflix movie. Yes. And I read that book. I couldn't put it down. So good. (laughs) I think that's a really good example of, you know, this, you know, boy uh, had a, a difference in background from my own, but I saw so many points of commonality that really made me relate, but made me also have a better uh, sense of empathy, better sense of understanding of some of the cultural systems that, that he was coming from and how he used those in a way that helped him to to be a really strong author and leader and, and a person of success in, in his in his world and, and uh, industry. So right. I think, you know, when we look at things from that lens and we say, 
you know, regardless of these differences, what do we have in common and um, how do we use sometimes points of challenge to help us to become more resilient, more empathetic and more connected? That really is key to the process for us. Right. That's good. So what would be a way that somebody could get involved with you? I mean, obviously there's mentors, Mm -hmm. there's donating. How do they get in contact with you in order to be able to, to be involved at all? Yeah, so ohuddle.org, so that's O-H-U-D-D-L-E.org is our website. And um, when you plug in there, there is a button right at the top that says you can mentor. There's a button right at the top that says to donate. And then there's a staff button that has my contact information and our teams on that. And I think what has been really neat is if you have, you know, opportunity to mentor, we would love to have people mentor. If you would like to donate to support the cause, we would welcome that. If you want to pray for us, we would take that. Mm-hmm. If you have something to donate or a gift, we, we get really creative with how we use actual physical gifts or talents that people have uh, in some of the programs. So if you want to volunteer, I, I can almost guarantee that we've got a, a precept, an opportunity um, and a vessel for whatever you'd like to gift. And you know, knowing that it's going to go to you know, 445 kids and to benefit the growth of uh, prioritizing relationship in our community. Very good. Well, thank you so much for talking to us and sharing about O'Huddle and we really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. We all have a purpose and we have dreams to follow. To learn more about other women and their stories and their dreams, like and subscribe. Until next week, be a blessing to others.